you want me to start over again? No, it's it's okay. <laughs> we have one. We have like three things we have to factually get correct. Okay, I think. <laughs> is one of them. Hello, and welcome to the Gage Equation with Malcolm Mickelson and me, Drake Mickelson. In each episode, we assign where the blame lays and spoil a perfect Nicholas Cage performance. We use the Cage Equation where we start with Cage's perfect 100 and subtract the Metacritic score, which gives us the points Nick that we'll split between the director, writers, and Cage stars. This week, we watched Snake Eyes. In 1998, Snake Eyes, Nicholas Cage stars with Detective Rick Santero, who becomes embroiled in the assassination of the Secretary of Defense and surrounding conspiracy. Through a series of continuous shots, steady cam shots, tracking shots, and first-person shots, we follow him in the two hours it takes him to unravel the whodunit and catch the bad guy. We get a hurricane, championship boxing match, multiple murders, treason, construction workers, Lieutenant Dan, the third best Gomez Adams, and the Spy Kids mom. Directed by Brian De Palma, written by David Cope. It's co-starred Gary Sinise, Carla Gugino, John Hurd, and it ran one hour and 38 minutes. It made $103.9 million off a $73 million budget and received a 43 out of 100 on the Metacritic score, which gives us 57 points to assign blame. Malcolm, how did you like this movie? I like this one a lot. I think it's my favorite of the older ones we've watched. I think it got a 52, though. My mistake. So let's go with uh, the 48 points to assign. There's really nothing I thought that was terribly wrong with it other than the fact that it was just a by-the-numbers action movie. Yeah. That made no sense at the end, but it sounds like they completely rewrote the ending because they couldn't get approval for their ridiculous budget. There's another thing. It was a $73 million. I guess they had to rent out an entire arena, but I can't see where the $73 million went other than, I guess, the camera work. They also came in two weeks early on the, on the film, too. I'm not mm-hmm. sure where the $73 million went. Well, I went to that animating the giant ball at the end of the movie. Yeah, that was a weird really, one. Really bad animation. And then there was, I looked like at one point, and since now I know, so I read the trivia, and at the end of it, it says that the ending of the movie was originally supposed to be a tidal wave hitting the city. And then I thought it was crazy because at one point there's a scene where a van's driving an ambulance, and you can see a giant wave coming. And I noticed it in the movie, and then it's never referenced again. Yeah. Um, and when I was reading trivia, they said that they forgot to cut that scene out or they forgot they couldn't erase the tidal wave. So they just left it in. Well, not only that, when the ambulance finally gets there, it's not an ambulance. Yeah, it's two police officers who did they. OK, I, maybe I miss this. They're the ones who shot the, the admiral at the end, right? No, no. He, he committed suicide. He just shot himself through the heart. I looked away because that ending drug on for a very long time. Yeah. So. It's a, it's kind of obvious, except if you if you weren't watching it for the whole time, you wouldn't know what happened. Actually, I was I was really happy they did it that way too. I, did, I don't need to see any more of the. He had his back turned. It was. Yeah, it was I saw him, I saw him turn around and I turned away for a few seconds and turned back and he was shot. I was yeah. just thinking where the the cop shot him at all. Um, that's why I was asking. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. First, talk about Nicholas Cage a little bit. What'd you think about his performance? I was going to say, I thought this was like the perfect role for him in these movies where he plays like a, like an unlikable good guy, like an unlikable protagonist, 
but he's not like terrible. He's not the worst person in the world. He's just kind of sleazy. He takes he takes some bribes. He's not. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was really fun. I never killed nobody. Yeah, that's what he actually says. I never killed nobody. Well, and he gets to do the he gets to do his freak out a little bit, especially at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he was he stood up and he said, "I'm the king of the I forgot what the king of something, king of Atlantic City." Yeah, he was very proud of Atlantic City. He was going to be the mayor of Atlantic City. That was really good. Then he did a couple other spots where he wasn't quite as crazy. They worked really hard on his hairline. You could tell on a couple of shots with him. I was going to ask if you thought he was wearing. At one point, I thought he was wearing a hairpiece. Oh, definitely was. Because it was like sitting above his head. It didn't. Look, you could see where his hair was going back, and that was just kind of floating on top. And then there's like actually a little line on his widow's peak too. Yeah. But even so, that character also wearing a hairpiece. Completely believe that too. Yeah, he is just a really sleazy guy in it. And he, Nicholas Cage was like was really good through the whole thing. There were some really good acting spots for him. Even a couple times when he seemed like he was, is a fake bravado a couple times, but it was actually, if you think about it, it was actually what that whole character was anyway. Mm-hmm. He didn't do too much action. There was no point where he had to actually do any fighting or anything. He just got beat up, which is actually probably Nicolas Cage's best move. Yeah, but the makeup on him wasn't wasn't great after the beat up. No. His left eye was really bothering me because it's supposed to be swollen shut, but it was kind of like it was a little off center. And so it wasn't actually swollen shut. You could see his full eye, and then you could see the swelling end right where the eye went. I always wonder about that. And then I see faces, like you'll be going through news or something like that, and you'll see a face of somebody or a boxer after a real boxing match, and you'll see their faces, and you'll realize – yeah, people's faces don't look real anyway after they get knocked off. Yeah. I thought the whole bringing the boxer down to beat up Nicholas. That was, uh, we haven't gotten to that part yet. <laughs> that was a weird move. <laughs> yeah, yeah Nicholas Cage, though, I liked him a lot, and he was it was a lot of fun. And I think this is my favorite of like his 90s and early 2000s movies. So I guess our problem then comes with the fact that now we're going to have to try and find 48 points of blame for a movie that neither one of us thought was that bad. Yeah. Um, I like to start with the co-stars, the cage stars. Yes. I think there's not a whole lot to talk about with them. I didn't, I thought everyone, all the main actors I thought were perfect, like perfect for their roles. Basically the, uh, the, the friend turned bad guy reminded me a lot of the Terminator Terminator two while he's stuck in the hallways. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Behind him. Yeah. But when he's behind him. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that was Gary Sinise, which is he's like one of the big time kind of a he was actually a stage actor for several years and worked off with um, people like Malkovich and a bunch of other people in Chicago and New York. So he's an actor actor. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably number one thing he's been known for is Forrest Gump. Yeah. As Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. the only problem I had with it was right the second he sat down next to Nicolas Cage. And this is my second or third time seeing the movie, but I remember the first time watching it in the movie theaters. The second he sat down to Nicolas Cage, and I'm glad they didn't drag this out too much. You're like, oh, that's not a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks, you put him in like he was, for some reason when he was in Forrest Gump, when he was looking a little ruffled, he's okay. But the second you put him, you like comb his hair and you put him in a suit or a uniform, he looks like the bad guy. Or at least the guy that's not going to be. Yeah. You, know, you can't trust that guy. The good guy can't trust this guy because he's going to do something. 
Everyone was a sleazy guy, though. I yeah, mean, no I, one was a good, It turns out the most honorable person there was actually the bad guy at the end of it. So I was a little upset when they go to the back and the guy's explaining how he missed he the reason he walked away was to follow a, a woman he found attractive and he was oogling her body and that's why he missed the shooter. I didn't see the the twist coming that he was actually the bad guy and I was just like oh this was a really weird twist because literally two minutes before that he's giving Nicolas Cage a hard time about cheating on his wife and not being faithful to his, his spouse. Well, yeah, and then on top of everything else, and then the shot, I mean, his old story did, actually, once you, once you look back at it, it's like, he's talking to her, he hears shots, he looks up, and then he shoots blindly into a wall and kills the guy. That story doesn't make sense even, I just wrote <laughs> that off as it being like that that time period's action movie. Because it doesn't make sense anyways. He's just shooting blindly into a wall no matter what. And then the guy somehow falls out. He shoots sideways into the guy. And then the guy's projected out the front of the wall. Yeah. So obviously. Had, a, it was a metal barricade too, I think, on the sides. It looked like. I, yeah. So obviously it was a set from the beginning. I mean, it was obvious. Once you look back at it, it's like, oh, this story doesn't make any sense. Oh, no, wait. He watched the guy get loaded in. He knew exactly where to shoot. Yeah. So, and then, um, who was it? Carla Gugino? She was, uh, once again, Spy Kid's mom. Yeah, that's the only thing I knew her from. Yeah. She was good. Um, the I mean, I'll... was fine. Um, yeah. Craig Felsfart. Yes. Um, <laughs> playing a creep. Um, which I think that's the only thing I've ever seen him in. That isn't Malcolm in the Middle. Is playing a creep in this movie. He's been a couple of movies and some sitcoms and stuff, but yeah, this is kind of probably his biggest his biggest movie role ever. The guy that plays the Secretary of Defense and the guy that plays the uh, what's his name? Um, the guy that played uh, I think Gilbert Powell. He was the guy that was the head of the company that was like the the bad guy behind everything. And then the other one, the one guy that I really liked was. Um, was the boxer Lincoln Tyler, Stan Shaw? He, um, first of all, did not look like a boxer when he's in the ring. He had muscles, but he also had his um, belt was hiked up to right underneath yeah. his chest. His body looked disproportionate. Yeah, and so did the other guy. Quite frankly, I the only thing I wrote from the first part of the movie, my only note was the most unathletic boxers ever. <laughs> they both looked like old men, like hunched over, and then they're. Their punches just, they look really bad. Well, yeah, and they look like, they almost look like, they looked as bad as, uh, did you ever see that the Robert De Niro thing on uh, the new, what was the one on on oh, Netflix? The Irishman. The Irishman, when he's like curb stuff. <laughs> it looked that bad. But yeah. yeah, they looked awful. But it was also, I think the whole thing was like an homage to the old noir movies. Mm -hmm. And whenever you saw those guys, they never looked like they were actual boxers either. Also, I'd like to put out, I, I used to watch boxing in the 80s and 90s. Um, other than when Tyson came along, there were a lot of heavyweights that did not look far off from those two guys. Because they, they just were just guys that put on a bunch of weight and they would hit each other real hard. Now, they wouldn't become champions, but, but I did like that guy. Some of the best acting, I think, the whole thing was when he was up against the ropes and he was given the monologue about what had happened in the fight for real. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm looking at this guy and he can't touch me. What is he doing? And you could just see the sadness. This is like the saddest person I've ever seen in my life. Well, he said, I'm looking at this. I'm like, this guy can act. Because like all of a sudden, I actually believed that he was a boxer for half a second. And he all he needed was to be knocked out. But yeah, he was really good. I, I really, when he was doing his stuff, I, I kind of like these, when they have these silly movies like this, where it is just silly. I mean, the whole the whole thing was just stupid and silly, but right in the middle of it, you have like really good actors and they say, Oh, I have a really good actor. I'm going to give him five minutes or, you know, 30 seconds to actually act. Um, The other, did you have any other actors? I mean, all of them were pretty good. Uh, Louise Guzman was in there. Cyrus was Adam. I think why I said Gomez Adams. Yeah. Um, And he was in some other movies. And when we talk about the director, he's, he's actually been in some of the movies with, uh, with um, De Palma on some of his stuff too. So, but yeah, overall, I don't know any of the actors that were bad. I mean, some were boring, but there was nobody that was like, oh, I can't believe this person was in this movie. Yeah, no, they they all did their parts really well. And I think most of the people that were on the screen were people I'd recognized. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the list and I know all the way down to like the 10th person's Mike Starr, which I recognize from Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, I was, I was thinking of the, the most annoying sound ever. Well, okay, so then, then because we've talked so much about Stan Shaw, he is part of one of my least favorite parts about the writing of this movie, and it's a really nitpicky point. But one of Nick Cage's genius deductions about about how the fight was fixed was the fact that he the boxer opened his eyes after being knocked out when the shot happened. Yeah, like because apparently when I've watched a few boxing matches, very rarely someone's just completely out cold. And even in the way he went down in the fight, he like stumbles his way to the ground. And it's just a really weird thing to really focus on, because even in the replay of it, it looks like like what you would expect someone to look like when they get knocked down in a boxing match and then hear a gunshot immediately afterwards. Well, the thing was, is he looked up, he was looking around, and then he locked eyes with Nicolas Cage. And I think it just kind of stuck. It was like a weird thing that Nicolas Cage, you could tell there was like a bunch of stuff when they were shooting it. The way they shot it was Nicolas Cage in the periphery was noticing all this stuff. Yeah. But he noticed it all because he actually, at some point, was probably a halfway decent detective. Mm-hmm. And then he put it all together afterwards. Um. I just thought that was one of the, one of the sillier parts of his uh, conspiracy. <laughs> well, you know, when you get five, well, there are five people. Then. Okay, yeah, I wrote, I wrote down. It doesn't take five people for a conspiracy because there's a scene where he's numbering off all the people involved. And he goes, "That's five. It takes five. Once you get to five, it's a conspiracy." Yeah. Yes, that's a conspiracy. You can, have, you can have a conspiracy between two people or three. That makes no sense. What? <laughs> and the other thing is, uh, just since we're talking about the actor and his whole, he had his back and forth with the guy, and he asked him, what happened? There's no way that guy beat you up. And he said, he fought me furiously. I just thought that was a perfect a perfect line. It was like the stupidest line in the world that a guy would make. He's like lying. How did he knock you out? He didn't knock you out. He fought me furiously. But no, I yeah, five people are conspiracy. And <laughs> oh, and then um, 
there was the point where Nicolas Cage goes, I'm the investigating officer. I get access to all classified materials. <laughs> I just, I, I like the idea of a world where a detective in Atlantic City gets access to top secret government uh, materials because someone in the military got shot in their city. All right. So let's uh, go ahead and let's go with the start taking off the bad things about the writers. There's a lot of plot points. And I also think there's a lot of not necessarily great dialogue. Really clunky, clunky dialogue. I don't. Can you remind me who says this? At one point, someone says bitchin technology in the middle of conversation. Do you remember that line? I think it was Nicolas Cage. It was Nicolas Cage because he's showing him the. uh... (laughs) It's a camera or something, right? No, I think he showed him where he was like looking at the uh, look at looking at the he had like the little dot monitor that showed on his phone, basically like a phone that had yeah. the map, which is which is odd because th- that kind of technology wasn't available back then, especially the, the graphic technology. Well, that's why it was so bitching. And they were they had it on the this. There would be so many problems with that. Obviously, the reason they did that was so that they could take it, bring it back at the end and have a way for him to track where Nicolas Cage was hiding the girl. But yeah, that, there was no reason to ha- even have that technology other than they needed it as a plot point later on. Yeah. Speaking yeah. Of technology, it also has my favorite thing from like movies from the 90s, which is one, it's you get to see like what era the movie's from based off if the fancy rich phones are big or small. Um but then also, for some reason, in the late 90s, they would start spray painting all the phones gold to try to make them look fancy. <laughs> and that's how you know it's supposed to be a nice cell phone is that it's like a spray painted Nokia. And you can tell it's still the same phone and it's just a paint applied to the top of it. And that's what his phone is. It's a spray painted phone with a little thing you pull out the top of it. But wasn't that basically also what that cop might be using? He might have actually bought that thing. I guess, Maybe. <laughs> The way he was dressed, he was dressed in like an ugly, ugly orange shirt, orange paisley, maybe. Yeah, it's like a black with oh, orange and then prints a, on. And then a leather jacket on top. Yeah, they were. I forgot what they said. He was looking like he's going to a luau, luau with Don Ho, which is a great, was a halfway funny line in the '90s that would have been really funny in the '70s because. If you don't uh, even know Don Ho, I don't even know who that's referencing. He's, he, yeah, he's a he's a '60s and '70s singer from Hawaii. Oh, okay. And so that was his big thing. It was the Rat Pack would bring him on as a. It was basically um, a really crappy version of representation back in the '70s. A, Fra- a Frank a Frank Sinatra kind of thing. So if you can imagine, so I'm sure it was very tastefully done. It was always tastefully done when Don Ho showed up. Um, because it was always every time he showed up at BL Luau, and everybody would be wearing lays on their neck and Hawaiian shirts, and then he would sing a song, and then they would all go back to whatever they were doing before. So, yeah, so it was a bad joke about from a bad joke from twenty years before, which seemed to be a lot of them. I I don't know this. I almost wonder if the writing was, in a way, was kind of that bad on purpose. In a way that. They, because the whole point was like that Atlantic City was like aging and dying. It's yeah. like like that's mentioned multiple times by multiple people. Yeah, and they were trying to they were trying to do the whole like I said before the film noir where everyone kind of talked like, look here, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. And you know, it's a really kind of certain kind of language that they've kind of came back with with the glass onion and all those others. They kind of do the same thing, but they do it well. 
Yeah. So it's like, no, it didn't work. But the writer, I mean, if you look at what the writer's done, I mean, he's he's done several of the Indiana Jones, which I, I guess aren't, I think they punched those up for the jokes. But things done stuff like Angels and Demons, um, with yeah, that was the Tom Hanks was playing the guy with the ponytail. Oh, uh, the Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code stuff. Um, he worked on like Spider the original Spider-Man in 2000. So I, wonder, I, I just don't think maybe he's really good at the story parts, and then it just depends on who they bring in for the jokes. Maybe they is, bring someone else in to write the humor. Is he good at the story parts? I like the story. It's a good story. <laughs> it was a good story. I think, but the thing was, it's a really simple story. It's almost like it was a sketch story. It's almost uh, uh, an hour, an hour story that was stretched out into, uh, and the way they stretched out was with all the stuff that the, the director did. He did multiple story points and he showed different points of view and everything else. I thought you don't see that very often with the first person thing. And he did it like three times. Yeah. Where he told the story from that, and they rewound it. And he showed things from multiple perspectives. I like the fact that they did it, but it didn't become a thing that was had to be done every time. Sometimes when bad directors do that, they make sure that you see that, oh, now we're seeing Nicolas Cage come through the door from the other way this time. Yeah. And now you're seeing the story. He did it like two or three times where it kind of was a, where it was actually important to tell the story, but then he stopped. He didn't keep doing it over and over and over again. Yeah, it wasn't always, yeah, there wasn't very much overlap. It always ended exactly where the next thing picked up and you were just supposed to realize like, oh, that was actually the beginning of the movie, even though we're halfway through it. Yeah, and then there was a couple places, they did a couple split screen things that were kind of good, but none of it was ever, the only thing that I think he may have went overboard with was just the tracking shots where he followed people the whole time and never cut, but even that was, I think, more at the beginning. I don't know if you noticed that, like the whole beginning of the whole thing before the actual gunshots happened was basically one long shot. Speaking of the following shots, that was my least favorite part of the movie was the last part. Was, well, the whole last sequence. I'm going to ask another clarification question. You you pay better attention than I do. Why were they tearing down? Why was it the last fight at that stadium? Because that stadium looked very nice. Okay, so here's the plot point. This is the reason why the whole movie happened. I, I know it is. And I actually rewinded it and watched it again and still didn't really follow what they were saying about why it was being shut down. It was halfway explained at the uh, when the guy stood up in front of his tower with the tower behind him and him and Gary Sneeze had their little powwow. This guy not only owns a casino in Atlantic City with a stadium attached to it, but he also runs an arms company that designs defense programs and missile programs, high technology stuff for the government, because those are two intersections we see all the time in businesses. Okay. So this is get, why I stopped listening. No, no, this is very, this is very simple. He was building the new, you know, Atlantic city uh, casino and stadium, you know, cause in the nineties, that was all the rage was what, they had quit building in Vegas. I don't know if you know this or not, but Vegas is basically dead. Yeah. Um, and Atlantic City was a prospering place. And they were building a casino. And he had run out of money. So he needed the money from the Defense Department deal in order to make the rest of the casino happen. Uh, yeah, he had started building the construction project and they'd run out of money. So, that, so this defense deal and the assassination of the Secretary of Defense of the United States of America 
and the bribery it sounds like of several high-ranking officials yes and also and and, and several That's things like that be more expensive than a than a casino you'd think yeah and so that's what he had to do in order to fund the casino because i guess he couldn't figure out how to get a couple banks to give him bad loans okay well i still i still love the story the story's good it makes perfect sense the problem is is the story actually makes sense the motivations behind it make no sense and then somehow they got a uh a jihadist to buy into this whole thing and work with the the defense department to kill the secretary of defense i don't think he was he actually yeah that whole yeah, yeah they, let's see how palestinian israeli conflict at one point which was interesting um, but they but they also literally said and we killed a terrorist so what do we care so he was an actual terrorist yeah and then he shot what i believe were two soldiers and then yeah that was it's a really confusing conspiracy. It was way more than five people, though. Yeah. It's definitely a conspiracy. And that much we know. Uh, how do you think they got Pepsi to agree to be on the screen with them? I don't know if you noticed, but every time or during the big confrontation scene where the Admiral pulls the gun on Nicolas Cage, when they finally like confront each other. The Pepsi's just behind Nicolas Cage's head, cycling through an advertisement board for almost the entire scene. And the whole scene is when um, the guy's saying, oh, politicians are getting soldiers killed and this, that, and the other. It's just a, it's a weird ad spot. Yeah. I imagine you have to ask permission or like Pepsi would have told them to take it out. Yeah. It's <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I, I just it was a, I don't know why, but I looked behind him and I noticed it, and it just kept flashing Pepsi. I did Pepsi over and over again. I didn't notice that part. So that's yeah. I I mean, but the whole thing was I mean they were a pretty good re- recreation of of everything around there with the the arena and everything else. That's probably where the seventy three million dollars came in, as they just were making everything as real as possible on that front. I don't know. Last part of the writing. I okay. feel like being the main announcer for boxing is a way more prosperous career than where that guy ended up after he made it at the end of the movie doing local report, TV news reporting for Atlantic City. Yeah, I was also thinking that too. I was like watching it. It's like, that's your, you're going to spend all that money just so you can be. Uh... I thought he wanted to be like a, a big like production guy or something. Like, that's what it kind of seemed like he was, like, scheming his way into being production. That's why he was going to throw out into the storm. Well, he said Walter Cronkite. So he wants to be the next Walter Cronkite. I don't know. It's also harder to see, once again. These are one of those things where it ages out so badly that back in those days, being the head newscaster was actually a big, a national newscaster was actually a thing. And now, you know, there's 40,000 of them, and who cares? Yeah, and, and Michael Buffer. Yeah. There, there was no Michael Buffer back then either. In the nineties, he was in WCW. Yeah, but he wasn't. He was the only one. You weren't going to make. There was yeah. nobody else that was going to do. Well, that. Now there's only. There's still really only one, and it's his, his brother, who makes I think fifty thousand dollars per fight that he announces for the UFC. Oh man, I and he has. Yeah. A, he does make enough that he has fake abs. That much I know, and that is a fun fact that I like to share. That this man gets paid $50,000 <laughs> to announce people's names, and he spends it on fake abs and tells all these athletes that they should be quiet and be happy they get paid. Great dude. 
I would give the writer, I would like to give the writer two things. And I don't know if it's because Gary Snee said it right or whatever. He had the line, don't give me that wounded look. You haven't got the face for it to Nicholas Cage. He had such a sad little face. He did. And then the other line that I loved was uh, Snake Eyes, the house wins. <laughs> they said that twice. They said it twice. And it wasn't, so, it wasn't a big like, oh, he said it right at the beginning of the movie. And then, oh, it came back at the end. They, it, was, it was only like 15 minutes apart, I think. He says Snake Eyes. They do the final fight. And then he says Snake Eyes at the end of it. Well, I kind of <laughs> wonder. <laughs> I well because you didn't know he's the bad guy until then. I was I don't know. I, uh, well, then just don't just don't do that. Don't do the callback. Yeah, the callback was weird. I don't know. I the, I assumed where he was going to be like uh, gambling, like getting thrown out of casinos for gambling or something. Which I mean, I guess kind of he gambles at the beginning, but that disappears really quick. And then, um, but okay, so all that eclipse. It's got a couple good lines there. The other thing that I think is uh, the most horrible writing of the whole thing was the end when they're up at the boardwalk. Him and the girl. Oh. <laughs> at the end. I was so happy with the ending of the movie where he gets, yeah, I mean, he gets convicted of all the bribery and everything, yeah. which is exactly what he gets told is going to happen if he does the right thing. Yeah. Was, Your wife's going to leave you and you're going to prison because um, everything's going to come out. And then so all that happens, but then for some reason that woman wants to be with him afterwards. Which makes no sense. Who the woman who was almost sold out by him, like he had to really, really consider whether or not he was gonna give her over to the guy. Although it's <laughs> just days before. This is the guy I'm gonna tie my this is my guy. But he also had the same writer who did that. They also had the, the little thing when they were sitting in the um, in the wheel in the stairwell. Uh-huh. And he's like, what is wrong with you? Of course you just take the money. Why would you do this? You know? And he's making a very convincing argument of what did you think was going to happen when you did all this? And then she, then the writer threw it all away by going, I thought I'd lose my job, not get killed. And I'm like, Okay, well, all the good rain just comes around. Yeah. It's like he do he do some good stuff, and then like three seconds later would like just throw it all away over and over again. I wonder also, yeah. so the writing seems half-baked, and I think it was a lot of it was just saved by the director who then decided just to do some weird stuff all the way through. But yeah, that end, that end scene killed me. I'm like, did you watch all the way through then at the very end? The, oh, uh, was there more after the credits? There's well the thirty set the thirty minutes. Well, I heard the I heard some conversation between the construction workers. Well, yeah, that's all the it, so it's thirty minutes of construction workers putting stuff up to get the big reveals. The guy takes his hand away from the from the pillar of a ruby of a ruby ring that's in the in the cement from the breadheaded girl who got killed. So she's in the she got buried in the cement. Yeah, I'm like. Wait, what? The, why did you? Oh, who? Huh? Who? Who buried her in the cement? The, Gary Sneeze did. Is that oh. what they were lowering when they're saying lower, stop, lower? Yeah. Stop. Is that are they lowering a body in? Is that what that was? Well, they're not. No, it's not the body. They've already made the big concrete piece and they put it in, and her, the, the ring from her finger oh. is. But you can't see the finger, but it's just the ring. The ruby from the ring is in it. Uh, so I guess her body's in the pillar. I don't know what's going on. 
it's stupid. It just seemed like a really bad payoff for a, for like a 20 seconds of or 20 minutes of watching two construction. You're wondering why these construction workers are, were showing them. Work. I thought it was really weird. And then I, I just, I didn't have the interest to stick around. Well, that's what you missed. I didn't either, except for they showed the hand and the hands on the screen. I'm like, what are they doing? He took his hand away. I'm like, okay, I got to see what this is about now. Oh, one last. Okay. I know I keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> one last, one last she's thing. trying to blend in she's trying to okay the person i'm talking about the whole thing set up because woman working for the defense department of defense has evidence that they're faking the results of a missile defense system yes um and the admiral who's best friends with nicholas cage is in charge of this program and he's trying to get passed so he's the one faking it so the to set her up and catch the the leak who's telling the head of the Department of Defense, I think, yep, is providing evidence that has to be provided at a boxing match. It's the Secretary of Defense, too. This is not like some Who guy. two bodyguards with him, yep. one of which is an, a high-ranking admiral, and the other one is a local police officer, and that's it. So they agree to meet at a boxing match, and her disguise is a bright white dress and a silver wig. Who who wears that? I'm sorry, you're, you're trying to blend in? And she comes up, <laughs> she brings up, I don't know if you noticed, a khaki jacket that has the envelope in it. So she has something that would hide her, and instead she walks up wearing that. And why does she have to sneak it to them? He's the secretary. I, this is the whole thing. is like, he's the secretary of defense. He sets a cabinet. He's in the cabinet when the president of the United States is trying to make an important decision. He's one of the five people in the country that's set with him. And for some reason, he feels to me, you know, meet me at the thing back here. Why didn't they just go meet in the alley out back and he could have passed it off while she's selling flowers to people? I don't, I mean, it, that makes as much sense. None of it makes sense. I think I was just giving the benefit of the doubt after the last one. I think I just wanted, and it was, it was just a fun, stupid movie. It was. So we should have yeah. all these fun, stupid movies. It's been my favorite fun, stupid movie. And then the director was really, really good. Yeah. All right. So let's take let's take a couple minutes just to talk about the director, Brian De Palma. He's done Mission Impossible. I'm going backwards here. Before Snake Eyes, he had just done Mission Impossible, the original one with Tom Cruise. Carlito's Wave, which was a follow-up to uh Scarface in a way. It was like a not a direct sequel, but it was with Al Pacino. He also won an Oscar with the Untouchables. This guy can direct. He can do. He's got a very, very specific style, and I think sometimes it hits and sometimes it misses. And when it hits, it's really great. And when it misses, it's still fun to watch just because it's a bunch of fun stuff. He likes to do weird stuff with the camera, like I was talking about the tracking shot, which is like I think twenty minutes has actually cut twelve. I think like four yeah, or five I times. Like, I think it's a ten or twelve cuts. I thought. Yeah, but it's but it, it looks like it's all one. Yeah, and that's like actually 12 minutes of it was actually one single shot. I wouldn't expect anybody. I know it was that last movie that was made with the recently in the World War II or World War One, where the guy, it was all one shot. 1911. 1911. I mean, 1911 I, or 1917. 1917. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, if you can pull it off, that's great, but you don't need to pull that off and actually to make, make it look like it. And if you can just make it look like it, I'm fine with that. You don't have to, you don't. It's it doesn't not, have to be real. I don't. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know it wasn't all one shot until I read that. 
I like the shot. And also, I didn't realize it was all one shot or made it look like all one shot to about halfway through. And then you start going, they haven't cut yet. Yeah. And that was, I also like that. It was where you, they, it was done for a reason too. It was supposed to build up a big thing. It made sense while it was done. It wasn't done just to show people you could do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he did a lot of other stuff. They've been talking about, I, I think uh, Nicholas Cage may have mentioned the fact that he wanted to do a sequel to this recently. How? To use the same character, I, I guess, t- 20 years later. I mean, I could, you can see that guy. I mean, he's a, lot, he's a private detective now. A private detective? Yeah, or something like that, wouldn't you think? I mean, you could do you could do something with him. I don't care. I, any, any Nicholas Cage is good Nicholas Cage. That is true. I, I, if we have to give 48 points, I'm going to give it 48 points to the writing. Really? I was yeah, going to. I don't blame the actors or the director. They did exactly, I thought they all did very well at what they were supposed to do. I'm going to go with you on that because I don't know. I had a couple for the actors and stuff, but man, it. Oh, oh, just some of them. The, the bit parts were, were just kind of boring, but I think that was probably because they didn't have anything to say. Well, name name one boring character who's not one of the four soldiers who get shot. Or the reporter guy. Oh, or sure. the reporter woman. <laughs> well, the reporter guy was funny, even though he wasn't, even though he wasn't, uh, he was boring. He's still, he's one of those guys that just knows how to sit there in the middle of a screen and go, oh, it's that guy. I'm glad he's here. He's like a friend shows up and he doesn't even say anything. But. I, I didn't care about his story or I, I'm assuming the the woman reporter story probably revolved more around that um, hurricane tidal wave that was supposed to happen. Oh, yeah, that was supposed and to Because there's no reason for her to be. She's at the very beginning and she's at the very end. And I guess she records the uh, she catches the admiral out. But that's it. Well, yeah, and they also talked he about it too. Howled with his gun about to shoot him. All the uh, all that stuff was set up to build up to a big tidal wave coming through, and, and even started, the even the end lines about him almost drowning. He was supposed to almost drown in there too. I mean, it was like yeah, the whole movie was set up around this big set piece that they cut out of the movie. Yeah, you're right. Let's just go 48 with the writer and be done with it. All right, so before we go, let's talk about we both watched the uh, new Nicolas Cage trailer came out for Renfield, um, where he plays Count Dracula. Um, also stars Nicholas Holt. And who else was in it? Uh, ben Schwartz was the other person I knew. Oh, and Aquafina is in there, too. And a few other people. And what you th- I, I really enjoyed it. I, it kind of was weird because all of a sudden I realized I think I'm watching a superhero trailer again. Yeah, do you think those werewolf mask wearing people were actual werewolves? I don't know. That would be interesting if they were. At least that, yeah. Then now, now we're setting up a whole. I've watched, uh, yeah, I've watched the trailer like four times now, and that's <laughs> all I'm wondering. I was trying to see if their hands were like furry or something. That would be weird that they're doing. The that. spider thing was weird. Him eating is that a, is that a thing in an old vampire lore? <clears throat> in a spider to get powers. Renfield was always eating flies in the original Dracula because he was he was he wasn't a full vampire, but he was eating the life like his master did. So he would eat flies and bugs. So he's even weirder. 
Yeah. So now they've turned that weird part into him eating a spider to get a superpower. So that's an interesting little twist on the on the uh, mythos there. I'm excited. He was just in the menu. He was really good at it. Yeah, I was going to watch that here this weekend. And also, he's, of course, all shiny and new in Mad Max Fury Road, which is always going to be great. And also, I just love Nicolas Cage in this one, too. It, it, he had like a little he bit of an accent. Different. He has a different filter. It's like they shot him with a different camera compared to everything else around him. He, just, he just looked out of place in the trailer, which is really cool. I think it's just the way they did his makeup and the lighting on him, but he doesn't like reflect any light at all. Yeah, I think he's right. It looks like they really staged him really well, which I think is something you have to do with him sometimes is you have to put him in exactly the right place and let then let him do what he's doing. But you can't just let him. I think some directors kind of decide I'm going to let him do what he wants to do without giving any blocking or direction or anything. And then it gets really bad. You know why this is reminding me? I need to rewatch Massive Weight of Unbearable, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes. Such a good movie. Watch. Watch his friend. Yeah, I just need to catch up on all the Nicolas Cage lore again before I watch Runfield. He has um, The Old Way, which I'm really excited about. Uh, that's his, his Western. And then Butcher's Crossing, which I still can't find anywhere, and I still have no idea what it's about. That's probably the one that's going to get lost, and we'll have to find it. Yeah, it's a frontier epic. It doesn't have... Oh, it, does, it has a 61 meta score, so that's cool. And at one point, we will... We'll actually get to see it. Cool. All right. Well, I think it's about it for uh, this episode. Looks like the next one we're going to be looking at is color. The color of was it the color of outer space? The color out of space from H.P. Lovecraft story. Thanks for joining us once again. I'm Drake Mickelson with Mal- Malcolm Mickelson. This has been the Cage Equation, and we'll see you next time. Bye.